Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues his series entitled The Message and the Movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today's message is number 14 in the series, and it's entitled Jesus and Sex. Well, good morning. Hey, it's uh, great to be back. Last week, I was at a conference all week in Atlanta, and I heard Dave did an awesome job again. Uh, So uh, thank you to Pastor Dave and... You know, a, a lot of you don't know this. We talk about this in the pastor's class when, uh, when new people are, when new members are coming back. Uh, part of the philosophy of, of leadership is I've always believed that it's just really not healthy for a church to have only one teaching pastor. That, you know, no matter who the person is or whatever, that you're always going to get certain things or emphases. And I think it's just much healthier for a church to have more than one teaching pastor because you, you get a, a broader a based a menu, so to speak, you know, from the Bible and from the Word. And so uh, I'm just so thankful that God has, has brought Dave here and prepared him all these years to, to be leading us that way, and just what a great job he's doing. I just feel so good when I'm away, knowing that I just come back, people are always raving about the sermon. It's like, awesome. That's so great. So, um, but, uh, but I am back, and we're continuing this series that we're in right now on the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached in the history of the world, uh, most influential speech ever given. We call it the message and the movement. And so if you're here, you're new at Rocky Peak, welcome to you. My name is Pastor Mike, and we're going to be jumping in chapter 5 today, uh, about verse 27. And so if you want to uh, get your inside your, your bulletin, is a white message note sheet. Pull that out. that help you follow along. And then uh, I'm going to pray, and we'll get into our time of teaching. You ready to go? <laughs> Adult topic coming, warning, warning, warning. No, okay. <laughs> so that's why we're all here. No, uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. And God, today we come just to a very important topic and, and one sort of sensitive in a lot of ways. God, I'm sure that, that all of us at times in our life have been wounded in this area, have made mistakes in this area. And, and yet, Lord, we just want to come today and we want to stand with you right between grace and truth. Lord, your word says that when you came, you're full of grace and you're full of truth. And we want to embrace both today, God, that to know that no matter where we've been or what mistakes we've made or bad choices we've made, that there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's healing. On the other hand, God, that your truth is just uh, unflinchable. It just, it's there. It, it speaks to us that you will not compromise because these things we're talking about are extremely important and can be uh, damaging to our souls if we don't listen. And so we pray you'd come and meet us now. And be with us and lead us every step of the way as we go through this important topic. We pray in your name. Amen. His name's John, and he's 32 years old. And he will never forget the day that he was, he was 11 years old. We got a call from his best friend, Mark. Mark said he had something to show him. Could he come over and come over to his house? And so he rushed over. He could tell the excitement in his friend's voice. When he got there, he went into Mark's room. Mark shut the door, locked it, turned on the music really loud and put his his fingers to his lips and walked over to the bed, reached underneath his bed and pulled out a brown paper sack. It was one of those big grocery sacks like you get at Vons or Albertsons or something like that. He reached inside the sack and he pulled out two magazines. You know the kind of magazines they were. It was the first time that John had ever seen them and as Mark opened up, The first magazine there in living color was one of the most beautiful women that John had ever seen, but of course she had nothing on. And John will never forget that moment in his life, where he was standing or how he felt. Years later he would describe it as a rush, there was passion, there was desire, there was hunger, there was mystery, there was awe, there was fear, there was guilt. It was all rolled into one. But he'll never forget that moment. 
after they looked for just a moment, they put the magazines back in the bag and put them into Mark's backpack and they headed out back to their neighbor's property. Right next door, their neighbor had a a large piece of land and, and at the back of the land was an abandoned garage that no one ever went into. And the two boys went in that day and for the next two hours, they sat there and traded magazines as they looked through page by page carefully as those images were emblazoned and imprinted on their minds forever. Well, this was the first time it had ever happened in John's life, but it certainly wasn't the last. It turns out that Mark's dad had a huge stash of these magazines at the back of his closet, and Mark had recently discovered the stash. So every couple of weeks he would go in and he would carefully put back the two magazines he discovered, and he'd take out two more from the middle of the pile, take them out to the abandoned garage. And so throughout junior high and throughout high school, John would often go each week, a couple times a week at least, maybe three times, to this abandoned garage in search of that experience. By the time John got to college, he was pretty much hooked. He, uh, he went to a college, and of course the internet was in full swing, and so now he had not only the, the magazines, but he had this kind of a full set of pictures 24-7, unlimited variety he didn't think much about it. He tried to tell himself it was no big deal. I mean, after all, all the guys on his floor did it. And like a lot of young guys, he really believed that once he got married, he finds a beautiful woman and gets married, that this it will not be an issue for him anymore. He won't need the pictures anymore. But of course, he finds out, like most men do, that that's not the case. He does marry. He finds a beautiful girl. He marries her. But he finds that marriage brings its own challenges, its own conflicts, and To his surprise, his issues don't go away. And he finds himself, especially in times of conflict, being drawn back to his den. Once again, he would go to those old familiar sites. There were many times over those early years of their marriage, he wanted to talk to his wife about it. He, He felt a little uncomfortable, but he wanted to bring her in and share with her the struggle he had. But he wasn't sure how to do it. He was pretty sure she wouldn't understand. He was a little afraid she would take it personally. And after all, their marriage wasn't in great shape. He was afraid this might push, him, push it over the edge. And so instead, he would often lie to her. Often he would wait until it was time for bed, about 11 o'clock at night. When she would go to bed, he would tell her that he had to do some work. Over the last couple of years, he had told her that many times. She'd come to expect it. She'd kiss him goodnight, and she would quickly go to sleep. And after he was sure she was asleep, he would go back into the den and there he'd be there till maybe 1, 2 o'clock in the morning oftentimes. Well, it all went like that for a couple of years, but one particular night she went to bed. She couldn't sleep. It was unusual. She's a heavy sleeper, but she couldn't sleep. She decided to get up, go to the kitchen, maybe get something to drink. She decided to go in and to see her husband, just to thank him for working late all these nights and how hard he worked for their family She wanted to be quiet, not to disturb him or the children, so she tiptoed down the hallway and made her room back to the office. When she got to the door, she didn't want to scare him, so she opened it very quietly. He didn't hear her coming, didn't hear the door open. And all of a sudden, as she came into the room, there he was on the far side of his computer station, eyes glued onto the set. And in that moment, she knew. She knew, obviously, not just what he was looking at, but she knew the story of all those late nights. And somehow, in a way that she couldn't even explain, she knew it wasn't a one-night thing, that that's what had been happening all the nights. Well, that was a week ago. They've tried several times to talk about it, but it's just been very difficult. 
He gets defensive. She gets angry. She'll never forget that moment. She'll never forget that moment of walking in the room. It was a rush for her too, but not a rush of excitement or a rush of passion or a rush of desire. It was a rush of nausea. She felt like she was going to vomit. She felt like a red-hot poker had been stuck in the heart. She felt betrayed. She felt angry. And so they've tried to talk several times, but always into argument. And now a week later, they sat on the edge of a marriage wondering where the future will go and what is the way out and whether their marriage will survive. Today we move on in this new section of the Sermon on the Mount that we started just a couple weeks ago. It starts in chapter 5, it's in verse 20, where Jesus talks to us about what does it look like to live life the right way. What he's going to say is, if you've been here, you know what he said is that, that the kind of life that he's calling to us is much richer, it's much higher, it's much deeper, it's much fuller than the lives of the spiritual leaders of his day, the scribes and Pharisees. Their righteousness, their rightness, it was, it was very superficial. It wasn't real. It was very religious. And as we've been learning, Jesus has no interest in turning us into religious people. He wants to turn us into real people. He's come to teach us how to live life in a new way, in a real way, in the right way. And so he's been laying this out for us, and he wants to give us six practical examples of what does it look like to live life the right way. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we looked at the first example. It was an example of anger, Right? Today he goes in the second example. It's an example of our sexuality. And in each of these six examples, he handles it exactly the same way. He says, in the past, here's what you've been taught on this topic, but here's what I have to say. This is something new. This is something different. This is something kind of revolutionary. And so if you have your Bibles, let's go there. Chapter 5 and verse 27. So he says, you've heard it said in the past, do not commit adultery. Now, uh, this is, they're familiar with this. They've been taught this their whole lives as Jewish men, that you should not commit adultery. It was the seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments, right? And, and they understand this. Now, if you're new at this Christianity thing, you're, you're new at this whole Jesus thing, you're just getting started at this, let me just stop for a second and talk just a little bit about how God and sex go together, how God sees sex. As you read through the Bible, what we find is that God is very big on sex. He thinks it's a great thing. I mean, he created it, right? He thought it up. It was his idea, his creativity that went into this. So God's very pro-sex, but sex is a very powerful tool. It's a very powerful encounter. And it was, God designed it to be almost like an emotional superglue that would bond two people together for life. And so what the Bible would say, if it's the right person, the right place, the right time, that sex is an amazingly incredible gift designed to, 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 to bond a couple who's committed themselves to love one another for the rest of their lives, which is what we call marriage, right? That in that context, it's an incredibly powerful and great gift. But that if we engage in sex outside of a lifelong commitment of love, it becomes incredibly destructive because sex does what it was designed to do. It bonds people, and if there's not a relationship of commitment, there what happens is there's a bonding and a ripping, a bonding and a ripping, a bonding and a ripping where sexual encounter after sexual encounter, we lose part of our soul in the process. We become sort of emaciated spiritually. It sucks the life out of us. And so because of that, God says in his word, 
Back in Exodus chapter 20, Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery. Now the problem was that they understood this command, and so they, they thought, okay, if you want to be right with God, you want to live the God life the right way, don't sleep with someone else's wife, right? That's it. Don't sleep with someone you're not married to. And so as long as you're doing that, you're living life the right way. God is pleased with you. And Jesus comes along and goes, no, 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 it's much deeper than that. And so what he says is that rightness in this area sexually, it starts at a heart level. It's not only what we do, it's what we want to do. It's what we think about doing. It's what we dream about doing. That the rightness Jesus came to bring us in every area of life starts at a heart level, at the a level of desires, the level of emotions, the level of intentions. And so here's what he says in verse 28. Let's pick up 27. You've heard it was said, do not commit adultery. He says, but I tell you, here comes my new teaching, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying that anytime you're walking down the street and someone catches your eye, well, you just committed adultery in your heart. That's not what he's saying. But we all know the difference between a look and a look, Right? Right? Oh, you know what, I'm saying? what Jesus is saying is that, yeah, there's going to be people in your life that you, you come across your path or whatever that you're sexually attracted to. That's where sexual beings, that's going to happen. But there's a difference. Literally in the Greek, it says when you look at a woman to, for the purpose of lusting, all right? So, so what does it sound like? It says you're looking at someone, someone's attracted to you. Now you're taking them in. There, there's almost a fantasy life that begins. There's, there's kind of a, a I would if I could sort of a thing. If no one knew, if they were willing, if, no, if I'd never be found out, man, I would if I could. What I would give to spend a night with her. You see, that kind of thing. And so, so we understand this, okay? So Jesus says, when we move into that realm of, wow, amazing, woo, let me take that in. He says, when we move into that realm, there's something that happens at a heart level. At a heart level, we have violated our purity, at a heart level, we have, we have committed at a heart level uh, uh, adultery. Now, um, I think we understand this. Uh, let, me, let, me, uh, let me use a woman as an example because we typically use men, all right? <laughs> okay, so, so let's say that you're married, right? And you're, you're driving along and your wife says to you, guys, look at that hunk over there. He's amazing. And you're like, huh? You know, look at that guy, man. He's, he's just built. He's like, look at those pecs. That's amazing. I mean, he's like got a six-pack. That's amazing. What I would give to spend a night with him. Now, can you imagine the husband going, well, as long as you don't do it, that's fine with me. No, no, because, because we understand this, that when, when you want to do it, when you desire to do it, you've already broken the relationship, Right? Now, now switch this around, and, and it becomes really clear from the woman's side. Can you imagine wives being there, and your husband sees a woman's like, look at her, amazing. Wow, what I would give just one night with her. But don't worry, I'm not going to do it. You're like, okay, great. No, no, no. Inside, you're going to say, what? Are you kidding? You've just violated our relationship, right? right I don't want to be with a man who is always wishing he could have sex with another woman, like, I want to be a man who's loyal to me, right? 
right? Okay, so what Jesus is saying here is just kind of common sense if you stop and think about it. What he's saying is that sexual purity starts at a heart level and that Jesus has come to teach us how to live in a new way. It's not just about not having sex with someone we're not supposed to. Jesus has come to free us from illicit desires, to change us from the inside out, to we don't look at a woman and we say, oh, I wish I could have her and treat her like an object or possession. We see her, that's someone's mother, that's someone's uh, a wife, that's someone's sister. I want to honor her, right? I don't want to use her for my pleasure. I want to honor her. And Jesus has come to transform us and change us from the inside out, okay? Now, this is a really big deal. And we'll talk about this more later, but there's always been people throughout history, uh, back with the time of Jesus, this was true, and the early church is true, it's true today, who kind of say, well, okay, I just don't think this whole sexual purity thing is that big a deal, you know? And so Jesus wants to give us a couple graphic illustrations to make sure that we're clear on this. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. And so he's going to do a couple illustrations. Remember I've talked to you about how Jesus is like the shock rabbi, right? He says really shocking things like, whoa, what did you say? Like, did you get that? And then while, while, while our, our minds are open, he slips in the truth. Well, he, he uses a couple uh, very shocking illustrations here. He says in verse 29, so if your right eye causes you to sin, in other words, you know, you find yourself, you're just always looking at women and, and wishing you could and that sort of thing. He says, then you need to gouge it out and throw it away. What's the message? Hey, don't mess with this. And we'll come back to that later. He says, it's better for, why? It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And that makes sense, doesn't it? It's, you know, would you rather lose one part of your body or have your whole body thrown into hell? Okay, it's, this is sort of a, not an IQ test, right? And so, but do you get his point? He gets his point. This is serious. You need to do whatever it takes to pursue purity in your life. That's what he's trying to do. He's given something extreme to go, what? And then we're getting the point. Next, next verse. And if your right hand causes you to sin, so now you've not only looked at the woman and wanted the woman, now you're starting to take action on the woman or vice versa. And if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, here's what I do in our time today. Remember this whole issue, we're in this whole series on the, 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 the message and the movement. What we're doing as a church is we're sitting around Jesus and we're, we're deciding, do we want to be in the crowd, those people who are just there that day listening to Jesus, find him intriguing, well, it's interesting, let me list, or do we really want to be his disciples, his followers? We, we've talked about this several times. Are we going to be just in the crowd or are we going to follow? And so today Jesus wants to say, okay, let me show you what it looks like to be my follower in the area of your sexuality. So there in your note sheet, you have a section I think it's on the next page. Well, it's called um, Jesus and Your Sex Life, Pursuing the Path of Purity. All right? So three basic principles that flow out of this teaching of Jesus. Number one, I think the first thing that stands out from this passage is, is, is that sexual purity is a big deal. I think it's the first thing we, we need to catch, that um, there will always be people in our lives, like I said, it happened in the first century. In fact, in your life group homework, you'll see it this week. It, was, it happened in the first century. It happens today. There is always be people. In fact, there will be people in your life who claim to be Christ followers 
who will say that, there's, that sexual purity is not that big a deal. That they will say that there is really no relationship between a person's sexuality and their spirituality. So they'll be the sort of person like, well, yeah, I, I'm a Christian, yeah, but I'm living with my boyfriend. Well, it's okay because I'm going to get married. They'll be the kind of person, yeah, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, but we really love one another, and the Bible was a long time ago. They'll be the kind of person, well, yes, this is a homosexual relationship, but, you know, times have changed, and I think we've just kind of misread what the Bible meant all these years. There'll be people that say, well, yes, I use a pornography, but it's really not hurting anyone, okay? And so there will always be people who claim to be Christ followers who say there's, that sexual purity is not a big deal. Here's what I want you to catch. Jesus is not one of those people, okay? <laughs> do, you, do you catch this here? That Jesus, not only does he say it's important with what we do with our bodies, he says it's important what we do in our hearts and minds, right? He takes it to a new level, all right? Now, you see this throughout his life, but I want us to look at another passage of Scripture where Jesus kind of lays this out for us. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Now, for those of you who were here um, when we started this series, we started in chapter 5 on the Beatitudes. In, the eighth Beati- or the, uh, in chapter 5 and verse 8, there's a Beatitude that Jesus said, Blessed or happy are the pure in heart. Remember that? For they will see God. We talked about this. If you want to see God in your life, you want to experience God, you want to be transformed by God, Jesus says the, the key is you have to be pure in heart. Now, of course, that takes in a lot of ground, but one of the areas is sexual purity. Now, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were obsessed with purity, but it wasn't purity of heart, it was purity of body. And so what you see is that they were all into washing their hands before they ate. They were into making sure that you ate only the right kinds of kosher food and kosher drink and that sort of thing, Uh, that you washed your pots and pans a certain way. And Jesus comes along and says, yes, purity is the key to experiencing God, but it's not this external purity, it's purity of heart. He says, it's not what, what you take in your mouth that defiles a person, it's what comes out of your mouth. And the disciples later in the day pull him aside and they said, could you explain that? We don't really get what you're talking about. And so in chapter 5 and verse 17, here's what he says. He says, Jesus says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth and it goes into your stomach, and then it comes out of the body. Okay, so we understand this, right? He says, but the things that come out of the mouth those things come from the heart. See, Jesus always cares about the heart. True, living life the right way, it always starts at the heart level, being changed at a heart level. So the things that come out of the mouth, they come from the heart, and these things make a man unclean or impure. Now, he gives us seven examples. Okay, so Jesus, so what makes a man or a woman impure? Like, what would be some examples of things that make us impure so that we can't see God in our life. We can't encounter God. We can't be transformed. You know, well, okay, here's some examples. Seven examples. First one, evil thoughts. That's what? A murder. Now he begins to kind of move through the Ten Commandments here. Murder. Um, adultery. Uh, sexual immorality. Uh, theft. False testimony. And slander. So he gives us seven examples. These are the kinds of things that make us impure, that, that pollute us, that keep us from experiencing God being transformed. Now I want you to notice that two of the seven are sexual, right? 
So sexual sin isn't the only thing that pollutes us, but it, 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 sexual sin does pollute us. Okay, so two of the seven. So the first one is adultery. Now, adultery is having sex with someone who's married, right? Understand that. Not, and you're not married to them, not your wife or husband. Okay, but notice there's a second word that he says it causes us to be impure, and it's sexual immorality. Now, in the Greek, that word is the word porneia. We get our word pornography from it, okay? So it is a broad-based, generic uh, sexual term, sexual immorality. So he says, okay, so it could be sex before marriage. It could be extramarital sex. It could be uh, pornography. It could be homosexuality. It could be any of these things that are kind of outside the sexual bounds of, of Sex between a husband and a wife committed in a love relationship forever. Okay? Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. Here's what I want you to catch. Jesus says these are the things that make a person impure. So if a man or woman comes and says, I am a Christ follower, but I don't think it's a big deal, you see, we've got a problem. It's that they're not disagreeing with me or with you, they're disagreeing with Jesus on this point. That's all I want you to get, that Jesus says, now look what he says in verse 20. He says, these are what make a man unclean or impure, okay? Eating with unwashed hands, it doesn't make him unclean. So I think the first thing we have to say in this time and age where, where sexual immorality is so rampant, Jesus says, no, this is key. There's a link between your spirituality and your sexuality. If you want to know God, you want to walk with God, you want to be transformed, this is a non-negotiable. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, that leads to the second principle, and it goes like this, that because of that, because it's true, we need to pursue purity at all costs. Okay, so it's not always a big deal. What that means then is, therefore, we need to do whatever it takes to get rid of this in our life. We need to take it seriously. We need to pursue it at all costs. Now, to make his point, Jesus uses this graphic illustration of cutting off your hand or plucking out your eye. You want to see what I'm saying? At all costs. That's, what he's, that's the message. You need to pursue purity at all costs. Well, what if I have to cut off my eyes? Okay, go ahead. You know? Now, he's not literal. You know? None of his disciples are one-eyed patch guys. right? But he's, he's getting our attention. Cut off your hand. I, I heard a story years ago. Back, uh, go with me back to 2003. Let's go to the, the, the desert of Utah, all right? It's to Canyonlands National Park, the middle of nowhere, outside Moab, Utah. <laughs> Big town. You've been there? Okay, great. Um, so Moab, Utah. So this guy, his name's Aaron Ralston. He's 27 years old. He's a, he's a rock climber. He goes out one day, decides to go rappelling out in the middle of this national park. You know, no one's with him. No one even knows he's out there. He doesn't tell anyone. He gets out there as he's rappelling. He takes a fall. He takes a long fall. He falls down this crevice, three-foot little crevice, and a huge boulder, like an 800, 1,000-pound boulder, comes tumbling down and lands on his right arm, right on his forearm. He's pinned down. Tries to get away, can't get away. It's Saturday afternoon when this happens. By Tuesday, he's just still hoping someone comes. It's been three days. No one's come. So after three days, he's out of water. Now, he's an experienced guy. He knows that without water, he can only last a day, maybe two days, right? And so now it's Thursday. Still no one's come. And so Aaron knows he's going to have to do something drastic to save his life. So he reaches into his backpack there. He pulls out this cloth. He ties it around his right arm with one hand. He makes sort of a, a makeshift tourniquet, puts it against his body. He reaches into his body. He pulls out his pocket knife. He opens it up. And without any anesthesia, he cuts through his arm right below his elbow. 
Can you believe that? Can you imagine that? I mean, I, I read that story. It's like, man, could I do that? And they talked to him afterwards. He made his way out. They, someone picked him up. He got to the hospital. And he lived. And they talked to him afterwards. Well, what were you thinking? He says, I'm thinking I either lose my arm or I lose my life. Okay, now, now just hold it right there. Hold the emotion right there, okay? Now ho- hold it right there. Don't go anywhere. And listen to what Jesus says. And if your right hand causes you to sin, it's getting you in trouble, cut it off and throw it away. Why? Because it's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. You see? Are you with me? Can you imagine being with Jesus there on the seaside, of, on the hillside above the Sea of Galilee, and you're there, and you've traveled for two days with one of your best friends because you've got to hear this amazing teacher. You've heard he does miracles. Maybe he'll even do one when you get there. And you travel for two days, and it's a hot day, and it's in the, you're on the, the hillside, and the green hillside overlooking the beautiful Sea of Galilee, and the crowd's gathering, and you see him coming, and I think that's him, and he starts to teach, and you've heard he's mesmerizing, and you just can't wait to hear what this guy is going to say. And he begins teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he gets to a certain part, he starts to talk about sex, and you're, you're like perking up. You're a young guy. What's he going to say? I've heard he's a radical. What's he going to say? And so this young radical teacher says, you've heard it said, you shouldn't commit adultery. He's like, yeah, yeah, so what are you going to say? What I'm going to say is that the purity I'm looking for in your life, it's not just what you do with your body, it's what you do with your mind, and so if your right eye is getting you in trouble, pluck it out, and if your right hand is leading you to sin. I want you to take out that pocket knife and cut that sucker off because it's better to follow me and to have your life and to, to be with me forever than to lose your life and go to hell. Can you imagine what it would be like that day to hear him say that for the first time? I mean, we, we're 2,000 years later. We know Jesus is a shock rabbi. We're used to this stuff. Can you, imagine what, can you imagine walking away with your best friend on the way two-day trip home and you're saying, did you hear what he said about that sex thing? I was looking at his disciples. They all seem to have two eyes. Do they seem like it to you? You see any stubby guys? You know, I, I was checking it out after he started talking. I couldn't even remember what else he said. I was looking up there, looking at all their hands, make sure they're all there. I... Wow, man, this guy is serious. Do you think he's whacked? I'm not sure. Seri- you know, we look back, it's, we know he's Jesus. He's the son of God. It's all we, we hang on his words. Can you imagine being the first time and you're trying to figure out who is this guy? You're going to be going back and did you, did you hear what he said? That's, that's crazy. Wow, man, he's serious. And I think you'd walk away You know, sometimes for us to grow in the area of sexual purity, it takes something drastic. Maybe not be cutting out our eyes. We still have one left anyway, and that's good enough to get us in trouble, right? I may not cut off our eyes, cut off our hands, but hey, there might be some things that have to go. There might be some places we can't go. There might be some relationships we can't have. There, There may be some magazines we can't read or movies we can't see, Right? There may be some things that we have to cut out of our life, good things that we don't want to let go of, but Jesus says, look, I'm serious about this. You need to do this at all costs, and you need to do whatever it takes. Hey, if that means that you're a young couple and you're dating, and that means your curfew is 10 o'clock, and that means that you don't hang out at each other's apartment, 
And you cut that off and you say, but it's so fun. It's just fun to hang out later and stuff. You say, yes, but can you handle that? Well, no, we haven't been able to, you see. There's times where in our life we have to make choices to give up even good things if that's what it takes to pursue purity. And so Jesus says, I want, to get, I want you to understand this. This is important. It's a big deal. I want you to pursue it at all costs. Now, number three. There's a third principle. It goes like this. Okay, so if you want to grow in purity, you're here and you say, yeah, Mike, I want to grow in purity. I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to mess around with this. I don't want to be in the crowd. I want to be a follower. Well, the third principle kind of tells us the step to take. The path to purity, it starts with the eyes. This is the insight that, that Jesus gives us, is that if you want to grow in the area of purity, it often starts with decisions we make about what we see with our eyes. Uh, this is what Jesus said. He said, if you look at a woman to lust, he says, what happens is it translates, it comes into your through the eye gate, and the, in, the result is that you commit adultery in your heart. So if you don't want to commit adultery in your heart, you're going to have to watch what you watch, right? There's a connection between what we see, what happens in our heart, and then what we do with our hands. You see this? There's like a circuit, like a spiritual circuit goes eyes, heart, hands. Eyes, heart, hands. What we take in with our eyes ignites our heart, which uh, motivates our hands. You see? Right? Okay. So, there's a great passage in the Old Testament that ta- talks about this. I want you to turn there. It's Job chapter 31. Now, if you're, if you're uh, new at this, Job is to the left in your Bibles. It's a big book. It's right next to Psalms, which is another big book, so your odds are high of hitting it. And you may not have to use a table of contents for this one. Just take a shot, go about the middle, and you'll be really close. Hit Psalms, go to the left. Okay, Job 31. Now, some of you know the story of Job. For some of you, it's brand new. So let me tell you the story of Job. Just real quick, real quick overview. Job was a great guy, walked with God, loved God. They were very close. And all of a sudden, his whole life falls apart. Ever been there? <laughs> anyway, um, and so all of his friends are, like, everyone's trying to figure out what happened to Job. And his friends, their theory is, you must have done something to really tick God off. That's their theory. And Job's like, no, no, I'm sure I have it. And so the whole book is an argument. Between Job and his buddies, they're saying, you must have done something wrong. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. You know, it's a long book of all this argument. And so in chapter 31, Job is defending himself in the area of sexual purity. And he says something fascinating. In verse 1, here we go. First line, he says, I made a covenant, an agreement, a contract with my eyes. Now, just stop right there. Now, did you even know you could do this? Hey, I got a deal going with my eyes. We sat down at Starbucks and had to talk this out. We got a contract going, my eyes and me. And we got, we got this deal. We got an agreement. We, 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 we made a decision, you know, the three of us, me and my two eyes. Okay, so what's the deal? What's the agreement? What's the contract? He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Isn't that Interesting. Jesus says, he talks to us about inner purity, and he says it starts with uh, looking at a woman to lust, right? And it leads to inner impurity in her heart. And so Job says, oh, I know all about that. I got that one down. You understand that. He says, "Um, I made an agreement with myself, with my eyes, that I wouldn't look lustfully um, at a woman. Huh. Okay, verse 7. So he says, so if my steps have turned from the path. In other words, if I've got off track in that area, 
Um, if my heart has been led by my eyes. Now, look, again, interesting. Interesting phrase. If my heart has been led by my eyes. You catch this? There is a relationship between your heart and your eyes. And if our eyes are, he says, looking lustfully at a woman, it's going to lead our heart astray. Exactly what Jesus said, right? Then he goes on, like he says, or if my hands have been defiled. See the circuit there? So you got the circuit, right? So Job says that early in his life, he made a decision. He made a decision that he wanted to be pure in this area of his life. And so he made a decision to contract with his eyes. There's certain things he would not look at. That he would not look at a, a woman to lust after her. He made that decision that he would not do that. And he said, otherwise, if I hadn't made that decision, then I know my, my heart would be led by my eyes into sin. Interesting. Very similar to what Jesus is saying. He says, the heart, the eyes, and so, so cut off your hands or cut out your eyes, right? There's, there's this connection that's going on here. Now, uh, let's talk about this for our lives. Here's what I want you to catch. If you, if you want to grow in this area, that we each need to make a covenant with our eyes. It starts with our eyes, what we take in through our eye gate. This is where we have to start. Now, now guys, uh, men, we understand this, right? Because we are sexually charged beings, and, and we can go from zero to 60 really fast, and it's through our eyes, isn't it? Right? We, we get this. It doesn't take just a glance. Just a glance, we're ready to go. Okay, it's boom, you know? It was like uh, in microwaves, right? So quick, quick response. And that's the way our brains are designed. We'll talk more about this. So we understand this. I think as men, we go, okay, I get that. But this is often also true for women. Uh, and often not as much. Women tend to be not as visually stimulated. It tends to be, not that there's, there's nothing there, or, you know, no part of it, but not as much. So, so for women, let me talk to you about what you need to watch. You, you kind of watch your eyes, but in a different way. Let, let me give you some examples. Um, so for, for men, you can see an image on a magazine, a billboard, a woman walking by, and, and that's where the battle uh, is. And that's what you got to watch. Well, for a woman, let me give you some examples of things you have to watch. Um, here's one. Intimate conversation is, is a real key for a woman. That, that's why so many women get into problem, like with affairs, doing chat rooms and things like that. Because the, the, the key to a woman's heart many times is through the key of emotional connection. So what happens for a woman is where, whereas a man tends to see beautiful woman respond, you know, sexually attracted, and whether the relationship ever comes or not, we'll see, you know. But for a woman, it's often the emotional connection that leads to physical attraction. It's kind of, it's kind of the opposite way. And so for a woman, that's one of the that's kind of one of the, the targets or one of, one of the trigger points, okay? Let me give you an other, another uh, one. For women, there is a, there's a powerful combination anytime you're reading or watching a movie or something or a show that combines romance and illicit sexuality. There's a very powerful a dynamic in a woman's life that creates a hunger, and that's, that's the whole point, it creates a hunger for the illicit. See, see, for a man, it can look, you see the picture, you see the movie or whatever, it creates a hunger for the illicit. What creates that in a woman? For a woman, a combination of romance and illicit sexuality. So, for example, uh, let me give an example, romance novels. 
There's a reason why romance novels are so popular with so many women, and guys would never read them. Or if you would, you'd never admit it. I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> that's it, man. None of the rest of the guys hanging out with you. <laughs> like, hey, you're done, man. You know. Now, what happens in a romance novel is these, these lurid descriptions of these sexual encounters uh, in this avenue of, of romance. So you have romance, and, and it's like through the eye gate of imagination, and it's creating this picture that creates an illicit hunger, like, man, I wish my marriage were like that, or I wish I could have an encounter like that. And all of a sudden, you set yourself up into where someone presents themselves, and boom, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're vulnerable. Um, another example uh, uh, for women would be, um, uh, I, talked to, I talked to a lady in our church who's had a lot of experience leading women's purity group. And, uh, uh, well, here's another one before we go there. Um, uh, soap operas, okay? Uh, there's a reason why soap operas, by and large, that almost, it's almost all women who watch soap operas. There's a reason because it combines this romance with illicit sexuality, there's another kind of a, there's a trigger point, you see, where we create a hunger in ourselves for something that's illicit. Another uh, example, I was talking to this uh, lady that was uh, heading up one of our leadership, I mean our uh, women's purity groups here. And she said, Mike, in Christian circles, it often works like this, that a woman will see a man who has certain traits in the church she really admires. It might be leadership or being a good father, being a good husband, uh, being really strong or compassionate or sensitive, whatever it is. And what she will begin to do is begin to fantasize about what would it be like to be married to that person instead of my husband. And so there's a comparison thing that goes on here, you see? Now, so here's the point. Regardless of what your trigger points are, we need to be very aware of them. Whether it's the visual ones, you know, uh, for us uh, men for the most part, or these other kinds of visuals, kind of backdoor visuals for, for, for women, that we need to be very aware of them because if we want to grow in purity, this is where the battle starts. And what Jesus says is that there are certain things that we are going to have to cut out of our life, right, if we want to be successful. And so many times what we say to Jesus is that I want to be pure in this area, but I don't want to give up this activity that I really enjoy. And so what happens is we say, I want to be pure, but I still want to watch those movies or those shows or go to that place or hang out with that person or have that conversation on the internet. This is a close friend. And so we say, Jesus, I want to be pure and follow you, but I don't want to cut off my hand. I don't want to gouge out my eye. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you need to know where the trigger points are. You need to start there. You can't fight the battle down the line. You, you, can't, you can't live on pornography or sexual images and so on and then follow Jesus down the line. It's like, no, it's got to start there. So it's got to start uh, at the trigger point, start with the eyes. Now, um, one of the things, if we're going to grow in this area, what we need to do is, uh, uh, for example, as guys in this whole area, one of the things, one author puts it this way, he says, we need to learn guys to bounce our eyes, Right? So, you know, there's going to be things that come across our path, billboards, uh, magazines, uh, movies, uh, women at work, whatever. There are going to be people that we have an instant kind of a sexual attraction to, and what we need to learn to do is bounce our eyes off. Remember like that old bouncing ball thing, like you, you, those, those old-style old uh, uh, sing-along things, you follow the bouncing ball, 
okay? That we need to learn how to do that. Now, for all of us here, if we're going to grow in this area, and this is an area where you need to grow in today, you're really relating to this message, you're going, man, that's me. We don't have time today to go in great depth. We could do like a seven-week series, but I'd probably lose most of you. There'd be some of you who are still here, and some of you won't be here after one week. But anyway, uh, we, um, there's some resources that I put there on your note sheet that can be really helpful in this area. I put some books there, and I want to add one too. There's a, a one book, if you're a, if you're a single woman, the, the, the book that you want to read is A Young, uh, a young Woman's Battle, uh, I think it's called. Uh, you know, there's a young man's battle or whatever. There's, it's like the same name, but just a young woman's. Um, but these are great resources that help you understand the battlefield. Like, like let, let, me give you, uh, let me give you an example. Um, guys, did you know, some of you guys will know this. A lot of you women won't know this. Some of you guys will know this. Did you know, guys, that the way we're wired, that we're wired to respond to visual stimulus sexually, that's the way we're wired. And so what happens is that when we see something attractive, what happens, and, and, we, and we kind of pursue it, you know, kind of we look on it to lust, with pornography or whatever. What happens is that our brain releases a, chemicals called endorphins. And they, they're, they are designed, they're aimed at the pleasure centers of our brain. And so what action, there is actually a chemical release that happens in your brain. And that's why things like pornography are so addictive, because they are, it's, what's happening is we're addicted to that drug. We're addicted to that natural feeling. And that's why, guys, when you're, you're pulling clean of this stuff, you need to know this because it won't always be as hard as it is initially. It won't be because just like you're going through withdrawal. You see, you're going through a drug withdrawal. Um, women, here's something you need to know. That for a lot of women who tend to get involved sexually uh, too soon, wrong person, all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, one person after another, what, what, often what's happening is that when you were a little girl, there was a broken relationship with your father. That you, you, there, there wasn't a good father relationship there uh, that nurtured you, that you felt loved. And what's happened is you're going through your whole life, you're, you're looking for male affection and approval. And the way to get male affection and approval is by giving sex. And so you're willing to give sex to get the approval to get the love. But the thing is, is that those kinds of relationships, he doesn't really love you, he's using you. And sooner or later you figure that out and that relationship go, breaks up and you go on the next guy. And so there's this perpetual search in your life for love that can never be met in that way. Can you, can you see what an important dynamic that is to understand about yourself and, and why you do what you do and to help you do what Jesus tells you you need to do in order to be healed, you see? So these are the kinds of things that we need to learn and educate, and there's some great, great resources on there. Okay, let's wrap it up. I want to go back to that story that we started the day with, that young couple, right? She walks in, sees him at the internet. Um, she sees the pictures. They've been fighting all week. What's in store for that young, young couple? What's the rest of the story? Well, here we go. Here's the rest of the story is that this young couple is in for a battle, aren't they? Uh, this is not going to be easy. This is going to be hard for both of them. For him, what's his story going to look like? For him, what he's going to have to do is he's going to have to come to a place in his life where he admits that what he's doing is wrong. He's going to have to come to a place where he's not defensive, where he submits to Jesus' leadership in his life, and he listens to Jesus, who Jesus says, this is a big deal. 
To look at a woman to lust is a big deal. And so he's going to have to come to that place of surrender to Jesus. He's going to have to make some decisions. I'm going to pursue purity in my life. I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes. He's going to need to learn to, uh, to learn about himself, how he's wired, and get some reading and, and can learn. He's going to need probably to get some brothers in his life that he can come with and gather around him and share honestly from the heart and, and hold accountable. There's probably some things he's going to have to let go of. Like I said, there may be some places or people or magazines or movies. I'll tell you something. Like, I'm your pastor, right? Like, like here's a limit I have in my life is that we have cable TV in our life, but we don't have any, like, HBO or Showtime stuff in my home. Now, I'm not going to judge you if you are, you know, so you make that decision. I'm just telling you honestly from my heart, I would never have that in my home. And you know the reason is? I don't trust myself. Two o'clock in the morning, I can't sleep. I don't want to see what's on HBO, and I don't want to be tempted to see what's on HBO, you see? And so that's like a limit. And I'll say, well, you say, well, Mike, aren't there times you wish you had HBO because there's something you do on it? Yes, that's a hand I just cut off. I would rather go through my life without that. You see what I'm saying? So what are the things in, in, in your life, maybe, what, in that young man's life? There may be some things he has to cut off and says, I can't go there. Let's talk about that young woman. She's in for a fight, too. She's going to have to learn how to forgive, right? This is going to drive her to learn more about forgiveness. She's going to have to learn to give grace to her husband. Not a grace that says it's no big deal. We've already seen that. But a grace that says, I refuse to bring up the past all the time and hold it over your head, right? It's a, it's a grace that says, I'm looking for progress, not perfection. I understand it took a long time to get where it is. It's going to take a while to break this thing. She's going to have to do some learning on her own, how she's wired, how he's wired. They're going to have to do some learning. She's going to have to take a good look at her at the marriage and ask herself some hard questions about is there anything that she's doing in the marriage that's helping create this problem? Now, I want you to be here, listen very carefully. I am not saying this is her fault, right? I don't want anyone to come out and say, I'm not blaming on her. What I'm saying is that in the dynamics of a marriage, if it's an unhealthy marriage, it creates an environment that gives Satan a foothold. And so she needs to look at that. Here's one area in particular she needs to look, uh, look at. She needs to ask herself the hard question, is she meeting and is she committed to meet her husband's needs sexually? Here's what I found is that the vast majority of women have no clue Even though we live in the sex-charged age, they have no clue how sexually wired men are. And when a man commits himself to a woman for the rest of his life, he's basically trusting her with one of the most important parts of his life. He's saying, here I am, I'm an extremely sexual being, and I'm I'm committed to giving myself only unto you, and, and only you can meet this need, and I'm limiting myself from everyone else, only you can meet, and he gives this very special, precious part of it. He gives himself to his, to his wife, and, and he is trusting a wife to meet that need. It puts himself in a very vulnerable place. And yet I've found that many times, and Christians, non-Christians, many wives don't understand this, and they don't take this thing seriously. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says that when a man and woman get married, their bodies no, belong, no longer belong to themselves alone. They belong to each other and that they need to make their sexual life a top priority because otherwise it will give Satan an opportunity, right? 
And so she'll have to look at that. But here's the good news. It's going to be hard battle for him. It's going to be hard for her. But here's the good news. And I've seen this happen over and over again. When a couple goes through a crisis like this and they let the crisis drive them to Jesus and they surrender themselves in a fresh way to Jesus, what it will do is through their brokenness and through their realization they don't have the power to do this on their own. And through the brokenness, when when it comes together, that if we give ourselves to Christ, there will come a day when they will look back and say, this was the worst thing we ever went through in our marriage. But though it's the worst thing, it's the thing that turned our marriage around because it drove us to Jesus to learn how to follow him as true followers in a marriage. And there he met us and he healed us and he changed us from the inside out. And our marriage is unbelievable today and it never would have happened without this crisis, you see. So, so following Jesus, what does it look like in our sexual lives? It looks like a surrender, right? It looks like giving him our lives. You see, he came to set you free. He came to set you free from your illicit desires. He came to set us free from the things that will destroy us. That when, when he sets a mark and says, thou shalt not, it's never meant to restrict you. It's always meant to protect you. And so wherever you've come or whatever you've gone through, maybe you're here today and you're sexually broken, I've got good news for you is that Jesus wants to heal that part, but you've got to do it his way. You have to accept the truth about what he's saying. Surrender yourself to him absolutely in this area. Be willing to cut off the hand or cut up, pluck out the eye. Do what he tells you to do and watch what he does with your life. As the word says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. And that's what he came for. And he said the truth would set us free. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for uh, just this area. It's a tough area, God. I, I would guess that hardly a person's in this room that has not been wounded by our own choices in this area. And so, God, we, we pray, Lord. We pray for your forgiveness. We pray you'd give us clean hands. You'd give us pure heart. We pray, Lord, that if we've, we're far from you, that we would be able to come and receive your grace today. We also pray, Lord, we'd receive your truth, that this is a non-negotiable we can't mess with. And that as a church, as followers of Jesus, so we would encourage one another to pursue you so we can move into this new life you have for us, a life that's richer and fuller and higher and deeper than anything we ever could have imagined on our own. We thank you that you've come to give us life. We pray this in your name. Amen. As we wrap up this service, let's stand together. And just want to encourage you... Um, that, that if this is an area that uh, you want to grow in, you need to grow in. So we have a really, you say, well, Mike, where can I find some brothers and sisters like this to grow together with? I don't even know any people. Well, we have a great ministry here on Friday nights. It's called Celebrate Recovery. And, uh, and it's there designed to meet all kinds of needs of kind of issues that we're working through and as we're growing in Christ. But uh, we, one of the issues, we have a, a, a group there for uh, uh, sexual purity for women and for sexual purity for men. And it's every Friday night, and it's, you don't have to set a reservation or anything. You just show up, and there'll be men and women there who uh, can have a men's group or a women's group to help you uh, grow in this area. It's to love you, uh, to express God's love for you, to, to help you learn and to encourage you and hold you accountable. I encourage you to take that. May, um, may we as a church continue to grow in purity in this area. May we be a church that um, is, is learning to live in freedom, that we would not be in bondage. Um, as we experience God's work in our life. 
May this be a week where God continues to take you deeper in this whole area of purity. And in your marriage, to set you free to experience a full uh, joy of sexuality in your marriage, that God would do that so that we would have that alternative to the world to say, no, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. And that we'd be modeling that and living it out. So the Lord be with you. Next week we go on, continue the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus talks to us about marriage. It's the third example of six examples. What does it look like to do uh, marriage uh, in the right way? And so I hope you can join us, and we will, as we continue this journey with him. Uh, God bless, and have a great week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org, where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.